Um, if you have a Bible, please open with me to uh, James chapter 4. Um, I'm going to give a long wind-up before we start. Uh, when I, I was asked to come, they uh, asked if I would just jump in and continue the series that they were in. I said, that'd be great. Love to do it. They sent me the passage, and I thought, oh, no. <laughs> uh, years ago, Jack Miller, the founder of our mission, came to visit me in uh, Dublin, and he always asked about my heart, my spiritual walk, and as I described it, he said, Josiah, you just race through the Bible. You read so much. He said, that's just great. But he said, as you read, you need to keep your ear out for the Holy Spirit, and when he touches your heart with a, a verse, a word, an idea from Scripture, rather than race on, what you need to do is just camp on that verse. Camp on that passage until God uses it in your heart and he lets you go to the next one. And I said, yes, sir, I can do that. And uh, next week I was reading my Bible and uh, came across James chapter 4, verse 6, which says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I could not forget it. Believe me, I tried, but I could not forget it. And it just kept coming, and I thought, okay, uh, I need to stay and listen to this until it works in my heart. Um, I began to suspect that some of the slowness at that time of our ministry was not because of the devil, was not because of the world, it was not because of my weakness. I began to believe that part of my problem was that God was opposing me because I was so flipping proud. What a blessing. Uh, it's a hard thing to hear. You know, and Jack said, camp on that verse until God works in your heart. I felt like I needed to. Two years later, I was still there. <laughs> I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to have to keep this as a lifetime verse. It's not the one I wanted. I wanted a happier one. Uh, but uh, it really has been a passage that God has brought me to again and again and again because I need him and because I'm proud, frequently. Not much reason for it, but still able to be pretty proud, self-sufficient, uh, think too much of who I am and what I'm doing. Uh, this this uh, chapter is really, in some ways, I believe, the centerpiece of James, and it sounds the gospel and the way that God works in our hearts in a regular way. He uses a church example that is shared by the congregations he's speaking to. He is not saying this is their only problem. He just picks a big one. But he's not saying this is the only struggle they have. And uh, it comes to us. It speaks to us as well. This is not the only struggle we have. And yet the passage gives us a pattern 
for how we are to live before God really in a daily way. And so there's both the, the, the particulars of their struggle, but I want to trace also the pattern that James is giving us. And as I'm doing this, I want you to remember that he does not speak to the world. He actually speaks to the church. He's speaking to you and to me. And, and he is asking, he is expecting us to hear God's word by faith. Now, what does it mean to hear God's word by faith? In Reformed theology, if you know that term, uh, we would say that there are two means of grace, two primary means of grace. Uh, the two primary means would be prayer and Scripture. But we believe that those means of grace, those ways that God pushes His grace into our needy hearts, requires a faith response to God. They're not magical. Reading the Bible isn't a magical book. Praying isn't just like uh, incantation. I actually have to engage my heart with the reality of the relationship I have with God through Jesus Christ. The faith is not just in the means or in the method or in the word or the prayer. The faith is in the one who loves me. And so I have to stand in the gospel. I have to stand in the promises of Christ as one of his, God's children, as one who needs Jesus when I read the scripture. And as I stand in that faith and believe that God is speaking, he brings his grace to me. And so this morning, if you are here and none of this makes sense, you're just starting out, you are welcome and how, however you engage the Scripture will be helpful and good. But, and if you are one of God's people and just barely hanging on and struggling to believe, I hope this will encourage you. But part of our response, part of the way we read, needs to be in faith by believing what God has said is true about us. Let me read you uh, a passage that talks about that. Back in the book of Romans, I'm going to go outside of James and read Romans chapter 5, verse 6, where Paul reminds us where each one of us came from when we came to Christ, who we are, who we were. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I've got some great news. You meet all the qualifications. You, you met all the qualifications necessary for Christ to take your sin on himself. For the right time, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
And Paul sees salvation as being all across the Christian life in the days to come, even after our death. But do you hear who he says you are? Part of what I need to believe this morning, that in Christ I am forgiven. That in Christ I am righteous. That in Christ I am his. I'm adopted. I'm made a child. Not because I was good. Not because I made all the right promises. But because I trusted the promise of God that he would save me. And when that happens, you stand in the gospel. You, you, you stand and you say, yes, this is true of me. Unbelievably, I stand before God this morning righteous. I stand before God forgiven. I stand before God his dear child. I stand before God reconciled with a future. My identity is sure and safe, not because I deserved it, not because I was good, but because God in his mercy saved me. And all God's people said, Amen. I love doing that. In churches like this where you don't usually do it, you know, I was raised in a Baptist church and they just did that whether you wanted them to or not. <laughs> Very inappropriately. So I want you to remember who you are and remember how... Uh, James starts this letter, he says, to the dispersed tribes of Israel. He's speaking about you and I as spiritual Israel, those who have come to God by faith, just like Father Abraham. And so uh, this is for us. And why do I say that? Because James is going to rattle your cage. So you need to be sure and hold on to the gospel and and. Listen to what James is saying because he means it to be health and help to you. But it's, it's not an easy passage, is it? So let me, let me read it with that beginning. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet you and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. 
Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Uh, James speaks uh, strong words to the church. Let me give you a quick direction of where we're going through this passage. Uh, We're going to see that James does not offer usual help for wrong behavior. You know, if I want to clear up a bad habit in my life, of course, where do I go? I go to the Internet. I read how to develop a good habit, right? I read about what my real problem might be. It may have something to do with my mother. You know, I, I, I wrestle with what, uh, you know, I read um, uh, uh, things like, well, maybe I have PTSD, or maybe I'm, I'm struggling, I need medication, or maybe I'm, uh, I read all of these kinds of things. Maybe it's trauma. Maybe I need to learn the steps for conflict resolution. Call in a mediator, right? Amazingly, James does not say any of those things are wrong, so don't mishear me. Those things can be useful and helpful in their place. But James has a bigger subject. What he is offering is what the gospel brings with power, which is all of these things do not deal with your spirit your heart, and your relationship with God, and there is no change in your life apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, no change that lasts. So I would encourage to use any means God gives, and there are many good means. This is not exclusive. But if you don't deal with your heart, you may miss what the centerpiece of the difficulty is. And so James takes the problem, and the first thing he does is blow it up. He makes it absolutely enormous and unmanageable. That's really odd, isn't it? You know, why would you take a quarrel at church and look at what he does with it? With that quarrel, he says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not your lusts or passions The ancient Hebrews used to talk about the yetzer hara, and the yetzer hara is that evil impulse within man that pulls him away from God. In the New Testament, that's given new strength with the term the flesh. And Paul is talking about the passions and the desires of us that are wrong. And not all passion is wrong. Not all desire is wrong. Not every church quarrel is wrong. How do I know? Jesus had some quarrels in church. So so he is not speaking of every quarrel or every passion, but he is saying that in churches frequently, in the churches he was writing, there was a problem because people's passions drove them into conflict. And so he says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. Now, I don't think he's speaking of physical murder. He's speaking of anger, uh, where you would want to do away with someone in their 
in your heart because they're your problem. Some of you are married and so you've experienced this. <laughs> you know? I, I, if she would only, if he would only, you know, maybe what I need is a little distance here. Would you just back off? You know, he is saying that that kind of attitude uh, can lead to murderous anger in a heart you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. Not only does uh, uh, the passion within us, the desires that we have for things or for control or for recognition or for power or for whatever, not only do those passions make for arguments and quarrels, they also ruin our relationship with God. They impinge on our relationship with each other as it comes out of our mouth. They also change what we say to God. They change our prayer life. You do not, you do not have because you don't ask. In other words, the passions of my heart, once I start to focus on what I think I need, I start to leave God out of the equation. And I become less and less prayerful. Not only that, he says, when you do pray, you're really just trying to get what you want from God. Actually, what you're trying to do is make God a partner with your desires, your wrong desires. Now, we have passions that are good, but with these wrong desires, when we pray for them, we actually are asking God, you know, I'm following this thing, and I have divided my heart between you and this thing, and I want you to give me this thing, and then I'll be happy. And we wonder why God doesn't answer. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. You see, James looks at the relationship between Christ, between God and his church, like a marriage. And it's not an open relationship. It is a committed, loving relationship where you experience and know God's love for you and where he requires that you love him in return. He wants your heart. He wants your heart to be engaged with him. Do you remember what we just read, the Shema? Uh, an observant Jew would recite uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That sounds like a pretty passionate relationship, doesn't it? Not just intellectual, not just traditional, not just as a group, but where I want to know God where I love him because he loves me. And in that relationship, there's not room for anything else to be my primary love of my life. And when I divide it, James says it's like adultery. It's like I'm splitting my affection between God and this world. And he says it actually, because God won't have that, it actually makes me an enemy of God because I, I've turned my back on him to pursue something else. Now, I don't think of it that way, 
I'd like to say I can do both. And what James is saying is, I understand that. The answer is no. You really have to choose who you will serve. Will you serve yourself and your pleasures and follow what the world says is right, or will you seek and, and love God and Him alone? And that is, the, that is the battle in the Christian life as I conform myself to love God and Him alone. I don't do that perfectly, but part of what we ought to do is to pursue that and to learn to do it. And James is going to encourage us in that direction. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell within in us? Part of what James is doing in this passage is he has moved from what looks like just a quarrel in church, and now all of a sudden he blew it up, didn't he? All of a sudden it's about adultery, it's about covetousness, it's about uh, being an enemy of God. It's like, wait, 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 I just had an argument at church. What are you doing? How is this helpful? Why would, you, why would you make such a big deal of this? What James is doing is he is teaching what he learned from Jesus. You know what Jesus said about my prayers and about my arguments? He said, whatever is in my heart shows up on my mouth. The mouth reveals the heart. Uh, he says that more than once. In Luke chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, Each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Now, what I want to say is, it was just a quarrel. What James says is, no, there's more going under the surface in your heart that's driving a quarrelsome, angry attitude that is pursuing things instead of God. There's something wrong in your heart that you need to pay attention to. And he takes it right out of Christ's words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, what I want to do is to gloss over it, make it small, act like it didn't happen, just stay away from that person as best I can, avoid them. Um, and verses 10 through 12 say, talk about them behind their back. Stop the argument, but just continue to talk about them bad as if I'm their judge. And I don't want to make it about me. I don't want to make it about my heart. I don't want to take that look within because that's hard. Unless you're safe in your identity in Christ, unless you know that Christ did enough to make you always acceptable to God, you won't look in your heart. It's too scary. It's too hard. It's too hard. 
is too embarrassing. And rather than do that, I come up with all these partial solutions and uh, foolish promises to deal with what is a much deeper issue in my life, and then I wonder why I don't make progress. You know, part of what James is doing is he's saying, you know, you need to acknowledge that beneath the surface that people see, there's a motive in the heart that drives that, that you need to own so that your heart can be free. So James takes the sin and blows it up, and when he does, uh, it just gets too big. I think, how can I possibly deal with that? How can I possibly overcome that? You know, what can I, what can I do to change? Jesus says, what's inside comes out. James pushes us to deeper heart issues. Um, you'll have your own examples. Uh, I could give you an old example. I'll give you an old example, a new one. One's funny, one's not. The old example was I'd been in the mission field for a few months, and I got irritated with another missionary. Now, I know that doesn't happen usually. But that happened with me, and uh, I got irritated with him at a distance. I got so irritated I could have bitten a nail in half. I mean, I was actually pretty hot with the guy. He came and said, let's talk. I said, okay, Eric, let's meet in Marley Park. And we met in Marley Park, and Eric started the same kind of stuff that made me mad. He just kept talking and talking. I said, listen, Eric. Now, now, Eric's bigger than I am, but I was hot. And I'm not proud of this, but what I said to Eric is, a couple of things are getting ready to happen. We're going to fight, and I'm going to win, and I'll tell you this, brother, I'm going to look good doing it. And Eric laughed, and I said, you think I'm kidding? And he realized I was hot, and he kind of backed off. And later in God's mercy, uh, somebody came alongside of us and helped us work through the issue. And now Eric and I have worked together as partners for more than 20 years. He's a dear friend. You know, so God really can bring reconciliation. But I, I want you to know there was something going on in my heart that was driving that. Things like reputation, success, the passion to, want, to have people say, oh, you've done a good job. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be just stuff. It can be other things as well. Now, that was years ago. So let's talk about last week. You know, you'd think I'd get over this, wouldn't you? I know you're pulling for me, but it's, it's, it's a long road. Uh, I come home, Barbara says, Josiah, you know, you've got a lot to do. Things have just really gotten really large. Uh, I know you're struggling with it, but, but I just have to say, you're not much fun. 
And actually, you're pretty short with me. You're not patient. You're pretty grumpy. It took me a minute. But you know, she was right. And a lot of that is because in my pride, uh, I was seeing myself as a solution and feeling pressures that were not mine to carry. And I'd like to tell you that I'm over it, but the truth is I'm in process, so pray for me. But I am making progress. And part of the reason I can make progress is because of these next verses. Look at what it says. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. Uh, this is really a difficult uh, verse to translate, and so you'll read it differently in different translations. Some of the uh, some some of the translations uh, want to make the jealousy something or envy something in me, but I really think it's describing God. Because in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, God gives one of his names. Do you know what name he gives? I am a jealous God. My name is Jealous. Gee, that sounds a little threatening. Let me tell you what he's saying. I love you too much to share your heart. I love you too much to let you follow somebody else. I love you too much to let you go. I love you too much to divide your life between me and someone else. I am, not only do I love you, I am jealous for your love. And you know, that's a good thing. It's a little scary, but it's a good thing. You remember the song we, uh, we've sung in the past? Oh, love that will not let me go. He's coming after me. He will not let me go. He will not divide my heart because he loves me and he wants me to love him. And that is, that's, that's really a good thing. A little scary, you know, but it's a good thing. Now, we have these problems of a divided heart, of passions that, that war within us, that comes out in our mouth, that divides people, it makes me pray badly. I have uh, an uh, adulterous, uh, divided spirit. Uh, what do you think the answer to that is you know instead of giving me all this list of things read the next phrase and you'll understand why this is a centerpiece of the book but he gives more grace what does he give to my divided heart jealousy that won't let me go and then he pours into me more grace, more grace. 
Isn't that remarkable? That's not the answer I would have expected. I would have thought I had a long list. But what he says is, he gives more grace. Why don't I just take that? James says, there's only one reason you don't take hold of that. Josiah, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, why don't I take hold of the free gift of forgiveness, of righteousness, of help, of grace, because I want to think I can do it on my own, or I want to think I can do some of it. And what God says is, no, you come just as you are again to me for the grace that only I can give you to make progress in your life. You see why I say this is central to the Christian life. That is real faith. That is real repentance. Uh, As we could look back in church history, You might remember that the Reformation began. We're getting ready to celebrate Reformation Day, sometimes known as Halloween, at the end of the month. And part of what we're celebrating on that day is the monk Martin Luther taking 95 statements and nailing them to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. Do you remember what thesis or point number one was? On his 95 Theses, let me read it to you in English. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So so we have some historical precedents for this. Repentance and faith. They can never be separated. In Scripture, they always go together. A repenting faith, a believing repentance, repentance and faith in the grace of God is the engine of the Christian life. It is what brings real change to you. It is what can turn your heart from idols. What does that look like? Well, that's what the rest of the verses are. When I repent... I submit myself, therefore, to God. I resist the devil, and he will flee. I draw near to God so that he will draw near to me. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What is he describing? He's not talking about theoretical or doctrinal assent to the idea of repentance. He's saying, involve your heart in it. Yeah, let there be some sorrow for your sin. Recognize the weight of your distance from God that's caused all this problem in your life. And take yourself, submit yourself to God, and then there's a promise. The last one says, Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And that 
that motion of humbling and God lifting us up to a place we don't deserve is the essence of our Christian walk. Our great Savior humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. And what did God do? He raised him from the dead and exalted him to be King of kings and Lord of lords. And in this life, we repeat that motion over and over, submitting ourselves to God, humbling ourselves, allowing him to change us and to to exalt us in his time and his ways. So it is a hard scripture. It really pushes us to look uh, past the surface and to say, you know, my, my wrong behaviors actually have a root deep in my heart, and I need to tackle that root and not just the surface. I need to submit myself to God. I need to humble myself, receive his grace for new life and new hope. Uh, I think that's a good word. I think that there is some life and hope in that. And your sin, your struggle, this morning may look very different than what James describes with the arguing, fighting church. But even that problem, the sin that looks different in you, can be taken to God in this way. Acknowledge what is true in your heart. Take it in humility to God. Don't try and do it on your own. Receive his grace. And then do the things it says. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Uh, Pursue him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Uh, This morning, I I hope that uh, God will do in your life what he did in my life back when Jack talked. I hope he puts something in your head you can't forget. And that you'll actually have to believe and hold on to the fact that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a good word. Uh, I'd like to close this with prayer. And uh, I may give you just a minute to uh, at least state your intention in your heart to God. uh, And then we'll have a song and close the service. Father, uh, you know, we sang earlier, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And it's true. And so today, I do want to come back. I do want to take up again the power of the gospel, the power of your grace in my heart that can overcome the quarrelsomeness and the uh, bad temper and the struggles of my everyday life, if I will put aside myself as the answer, if I will put aside my own passions and desires, come to you to receive grace, submit myself, and draw near to you. You say you'll draw near to me. Is the promise of the gospel. And Lord, I, I claim that for myself today. Lord, uh, speak to us as we each pray to you our own prayers silently.
Father, we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.